Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Today, as you heard, we're going to be looking at a very familiar story, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You probably sang songs about it when you were younger. You know how the story goes. Um, Throughout this month, we've been looking at the topic of unshakable faith, looking at the story of Daniel from when he was a young man, 16, 17 years old, when, when the enemy was challenging his identity. And then again the next year when the enemy was, was challenging God's identity and Daniel's ability and his decisions to stand firm in his faith. But today we're going to be looking at Daniel in the lion's den. And for you and I today, that may not seem particularly relevant because you and I don't know what a lion's den is. The closest we have, most of us have ever been to a lion is probably at the zoo. So what is a lion? And do you and I have lions in our lives? Right here in 1 Peter, we see that you and I deal with lions every single day. You and I have an enemy that is like a roaring lion prowling around, wishing to devour us, wishing to shake us, wishing to devour our faith. And I want to suggest to you this afternoon that the way that Daniel was able to resist this roaring lion and the measures that he took the way that he was able to tame his lions is the same way that God would have us deal with our lions today. But before we get into the story, I did a little bit of research on lions, and I'm about to show you a video clip. I want to warn you if you're kind of sensitive to any kind of fighting or any kind of um, animals fighting and that kind of thing, to go ahead and just cover your eyes for a moment. But I wanted to show you what a roaring lion looks like, and this was one of the only clips that I could find. It's found in Kenya, a group of tourists that recorded this fight. that sound of the roaring? Do you hear the intensity behind that roaring? I looked in so many places to try to find a clip of this kind of roaring from lions, but this was the only one I could find, and I discovered it's because while lions will frequently make sounds and they'll frequently call to each other with kind of a roar, the only time they truly roar like this, and this is the kind of roaring that our enemy, the roaring lion, does, is when lions are fighting over territory. Who does this territory belong to? They're actually fighting over one of these females, over the territory that they're on, and who's going to be in charge of the pride. And for you and I, we have an enemy that is a roaring lion. And do you know why he's roaring? It's because he thinks that he is in charge of this world. And you and I, you and I who represent God, when we go out and we claim the kingdom of God with I'm sorry and I forgive you, like Pastor Milton has been talking to us about, When we go out and claim territory for the kingdom of God, you better believe that the enemy, the lion, is going to start roaring because he wants to take that territory back. Daniel, we looked at him when he was a teenager and the things that he went through, and now the story we're going to look at is Daniel as an older man. 
He is now over 80 years old. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 6, starting at verse 1, to see how he dealt with the lions that were roaring at him and what that means for us today. Daniel chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And it reads, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Now, who's Darius? The last time we looked at Daniel, the king was Nebuchadnezzar, and the kingdom was Babylon. It has now been four kings later, and now it's the Medes and the Persians. And you have to understand, Daniel, who has been faithful to God, has now been in influence through four kingdoms. That is so unusual because typically when a new king comes, he deposes the people who have been in power and gives the power to new people. But Daniel has been in influence for four kings, and what has he been doing the whole time? Every time a story of Daniel ends, it ends with the king declaring that Daniel's God is God. Daniel was taken from his home, he was brought to a foreign land, and even where he was as a captive, he declared and claimed the kingdom of God for four kings straight. And so now, the lion, the enemy, is going to start roaring. But first we see that Darius, he's the new king. He decided to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. That's kind of like saying, I'm gonna split the kingdom into 120 pieces, put 120 people on charge of it, and what I need is I need three administrators to watch over those 120 people. And the reason for that is because the satraps were supposed to be accountable to the three administrators so that the king might not suffer loss. Basically, Darius knew that when people are in power, they will usually do what they can to take stuff for themselves. And so the king decided there needed to be three people to watch these satraps to make sure that if they start cheating, if they start doing stuff that would cause him loss, then they would have to call out the satraps and call that out to the king. And Daniel was one of these three very trusted men. And in fact, he was not only one of these three administrators in charge of making sure that the king didn't suffer loss, but he was so good at that, he distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is what that means. It means that Daniel was really good at finding corruption. And Daniel was really good at not hiding that corruption, but pointing it out. He was so good at it, in fact, that the king said, you know what, I want to make you in charge of everything. I want to make you um, over the whole kingdom. But the problem was, the administrators, the satraps, were not super excited about that. And they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Why are they trying to take Daniel down? It has to be more than the fact that they're going to have somebody above them. I want to suggest to you this morning, and in my studies I realized that the reasons why the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against him is probably because the other two administrators that he's working with are probably not that honest. And they know that Daniel has the spirit of God with him. And if Daniel gets put in charge of them, Daniel's going to call them out. So they are trying to protect themselves. And so they start looking in Daniel's life. What can we find so that we can convince the king not to make him in charge? What can we find to make sure he doesn't get this promotion? But no matter what they look at in Daniel's life, there's nothing. There's there's no corruption. There's no negligence. He's trustworthy. It's like they looked at his life and they saw, wow, 
The Spirit of God is, is over Daniel's life, and it's under Daniel's life, and it runs through Daniel's life, and they couldn't find anything with which to charge him. And so they said, we can't find anything to charge Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. The one aspect that they saw when they looked at Daniel's life was his commitment and his devotion and his steadfastness to God. And so my question to you and to me today is if people were watching us closely to take us down, would they find that the only constant in our lives is our commitment to the law of God? Would they look at our lives and hardly be able to see it for the fact that God is over our lives and under our lives and through our lives? Because that is where Daniel was 80 plus years And that is where he stayed for four kings straight. And so they said, we need to take him down, and it has to do with God. So this is what they did. They got together as a group to the king, and they said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors and governors have all agreed. Notice that they said all of the leaders have agreed, but probably there was one administrator who wasn't part of this group. There was probably one administrator that didn't agree to what was about to happen next. And this is what they said they all agreed on. That the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel probably did not agree to that. But this is what they said. They said, now your majesty, appealing to his vanity, they said, you're the king. You practically own us. You can practically answer prayers. Issue this decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered. That was a really interesting caveat of their government. When the king puts something into writing, even the king himself cannot overturn it. He said, put it into writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians. And so Darius agreed, and he put the decree into writing. Anybody who prays to anybody other than me for 30 days is going to be thrown into the lion's den. And I can only imagine Daniel when he heard all of these things. You see, he worked with the administrators on a daily basis. He worked with the satraps on a daily basis. These were his coworkers. These were people he knew, maybe people that um, he considered trusting. And how would you feel, and maybe you have felt this way, when you look around and you realize that everyone close to you has been stabbing you in the back, that people have been telling lies about you, that people have gone to the boss and told lies about you to try to hold you back in your life. Imagine how devastated and frustrated Daniel must have felt when he heard that all of these things had just happened. Now he is in danger of facing lions in a lion's den, but he must have looked around to the people around him and said, why do I need to go into a den of lions? I'm already surrounded with lions. Have you ever felt that way in your life? I know that I have at times. I'm surrounded by lions. But here's the thing. We looked last week at how reactions reveal to us what we really believe about God. And Daniel had lots of options as to how he was going to react to this situation. He could have gone to the satraps and the administrators and been like, what's wrong with you guys? I didn't do anything to deserve that. He could have gone to the king. He could have defended himself. He could have gone to his friends and cried about all the stuff that was happening in his life. But something that he did showed us that he was, he was extremely in tune. 
he went, when he heard that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and he prayed. Now, why did he pray? Prayer to you and I is not a natural response when we feel that we are surrounded with lions. But here's the thing. Question for all of you. How many people have seen the movie Catching Fire? Second Hunger Games. Okay, only a couple people. So I was going to show you a clip, but instead I'm going to explain it to you. Um, Basically, the reason why Daniel got on his knees and prayed is because he realized he was being attacked. He realized he was surrounded by lions. And when you and I realize we're surrounded by lions, we try to fight those lions. But Daniel understood something very different. His enemies were not the people around him. His true enemies were not the administrators. They were not the governors. They were not the satraps. He realized, just as we read in 1 Peter, that he, just like you and I, has an enemy that is a roaring lion looking to devour, and that the men who were attacking him were not that enemy. You see, you and I, we frequently try to fight our enemies with our words, with our talking, We try to fight them with our reasoning and with all of our human efforts. But this is the truth. If you and I are going to have unshakable faith, we have to remember who the real enemy is. Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us our struggle, our true struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you know what that means? It means that Daniel wasn't really fighting men. Daniel was fighting a roaring lion that was trying to take down the kingdom of God that he had established in Medo-Persia. And these men were not really his enemy. These men were under the influence of his enemy. For you and I in our lives, those lions, we think we see lions around us, they're not really our enemies. Even when they do stuff to us, They are not our enemies. They are under the influence of our enemies. And that's why God tells us to pray for your enemies. When you pray for your enemies, when you pray for them to be released from the influence of your true enemy, then you will also be released from their influence. God says pray for your enemies because the lions you think are surrounding you, they are not your enemies. We are not each other's enemies. We are on the same side. We have one enemy. There is one lion, and it is not the person next to you. It is not our spouses. It is not our children. It is not our exes or our friends. We have one enemy, and it is Satan. And when we spend time fighting one another, biting and devouring each other, we are doing the lion's work for him. When we don't understand where the shaking is coming from and we think it's coming from each other, we completely fail to fight the true enemy. And he gets to sit back and watch. You and I need to remember that we are not fighting a physical battle. We are not fighting flesh and blood. We are fighting spiritually. You see, Daniel got on his knees and prayed because he knew that even though the people around him were attacking him, He was not actually fighting them. He got on his knees and prayed because he realized, I need to fight spiritually. And this is what he decided. He got down on his knees and he prayed with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Now, I don't know how you were taught this story, 
But I was taught this story and shown a picture of Daniel kneeling by this open window and shouting out his prayers all over the courtyard and being all bold for God. And I always wondered, you know, the king just passed a decree. You can still pray, but quietly, (laughs) right? Matthew says to go in your prayer closet and pray secretly. So why is he shouting his prayers out for everyone to hear? But as we'll see later, Daniel actually wasn't shouting his prayers out. Because if you look at Daniel's life and how he dealt with confrontation, when he was a young man and they were trying to make him eat stuff, he didn't say, I'm not going to eat it, you should kill me. He said, give me 10 days. When he was about to be killed because people couldn't interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he didn't say, well, you might as well just kill me now. He said, give me an evening. Daniel was a master at being able to respond with wisdom and tact. It was a gift from God. And so it's hard for me to believe that he was praying with windows open and being all obnoxious now at 80 plus years old. And so I I discovered as I looked at this, there was a reason the windows were open to Jerusalem. It's because he knew the writings, um, the previous writings that had been written before he got here. And this is what it had said in 2 Chronicles. When Solomon was dedicating the temple, Solomon said that if your people turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity which means that, God, if your people are unfaithful to you and you allow them into captivity, but even in the land of their captivity, which Daniel is in the land of his captivity, where they were taken, they turn back to you and pray toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and toward the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas and uphold their cause. Daniel was praying with windows open toward Jerusalem, because he was serious about this prayer. He was saying, God, I am in a foreign land. These are not my people. I have spent my entire life here in this land, but I believe I'm opening my windows toward Jerusalem where I believe your name is, and I'm asking you, God, to hear me. I need your help. When you and I struggle, do we open our windows to Jerusalem? Do we open our hearts to God and say, God, Stuff is happening, and it looks like people around me hate me, and they're my enemies, and they're trying to take me down. But I know that you are God, and so I'm asking you to hear. That is what Daniel did, because he understood that prayer is one of our most powerful weapons against the enemy of our faith. Ephesians 6 tells us how to resist the enemy. and In 1 Peter, it says, resist the roaring lion. And Ephesians 6 tells us this is how you resist. You put on the full armor of God. And we've heard this, right? The helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness. But we always skip the verse that is right after it that talks about the most powerful weapon. It says pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Miss Trina this morning had to shake each other to see how easily we were shaken. And what she said is the truth. You and I can be shaken like that, but we cannot be shaken when we are holding on to a steadfast God. And that is why if we want to have unshakable faith, we have to align ourselves with God in prayer. We have to cling to God in prayer because we cannot have unshakable faith on our own. There are too many questions without answers. There are too many people that confuse us. There are too many things going on in life that we do not understand. If we are going to have unshakable faith, we have to hold on to God. Daniel was holding on to God, but these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked for help. 
They didn't stand under his window in the courtyard and hear his prayers. They actually actively went and said, oh, look, it's four o'clock. It's Daniel's prayer time. Let's go catch him. And they went probably to his house or his apartment, and they saw him praying, and they said, we got you. We got you. And so they went to the king, and they spoke to him about his royal decree, saying, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? They're kind of confirming, king, this is what you said, right? And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. The king is saying, I decided it, and even I cannot change it. And then we see that they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, which, by the way, I can't help adding a side note, that it really bothers me, that he has now been in exile for 70 plus years, And they still, and he has been in power, and they are still trying to name him based on what he used to be. There are people in our lives, friends, and I have to remember this myself, that there are people who, regardless of how much we grow in God, will refuse to see us anything except for what we were. And what we always have to cling to is the way that God sees us. Claim the identity that he has put on us, regardless of if people around us are determined to remember the past. But they say, Daniel, who's one of the exiles, one of those exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. The king says, I just messed up because my number one most trusted guy who saves my kingdom from loss is now about to be thrown into the lion's den based on my command, and there is nothing I can do about it. So he spends all day trying to save Daniel. What can I do? I didn't mean for this to happen. I was just being all proud and thinking I was God, and now I realize I'm not God because I can't even change my own laws. And so he's in this place, and he's trying to save Daniel before sundown because the laws of the Medes and the Persians have to be put into action before the sun goes down. But the men go as a group to King Darius, and they say, you're out of time. You cannot change any decree or edict. And so the king gives the order, and they bring Daniel and throw him into the lion's den. When I think about this, I imagine Daniel in his room windows open to the temple. He said, God, I know that you said even in the land of my captivity, when I pray toward you, you will hear me. And I know you've been faithful in the past. You have seen me through four kings. You have seen me through four kings in a pagan and wicked land. You have established your kingdom. So I'm claiming, God, I'm claiming your promises. I'm claiming that you're gonna hear me. I am asking you for help. I am asking you for salvation. And in the midst of his prayer, The men come and they take him to take him into the lion's den. You and I have experienced this, haven't we? Where we say, God, I'm trusting you. God, I'm gonna have faith in you. I'm gonna claim your promises and I know that you're gonna answer. And in the midst of it, something happens and we find ourselves headed toward our lion's den, whether it's relational or financial or physical. And we find ourselves headed toward the lion's den and we say, God, where were you? Why didn't you answer me? I opened the windows. I did the prayers. Why didn't you answer me? And Daniel's life here reveals to us this truth, that faith, even unshakable faith, does not always protect us from the lion's den. 
Even unshakable faith, even the best faith, does not always protect us from the lion's den. You and I live in this world where the enemy is trying to be in charge. And sometimes we go into the lion's den. In fact, Jesus, when he was here and he prayed for us, said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Jesus never even prayed for us to avoid the lion's den. But the story isn't over. We see that the king says to Daniel, he's probably dragging him toward the lion's den, which, by the way, a lion's den is a really big hole in the ground where lions live. They put them in this hole. They never let them out. They're not allowed to hunt. They're driven crazy by the dark, and so they are always hungry. And so they're dragging Daniel toward this lion's den, and there's a small opening at the top where a man can barely fit through, and they move aside the stone, and they, the king says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you, kind of like, good luck. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. The strongest authority, the ruling authority in the world said, it's over. They put Daniel in the lion's den. They covered the opening with a rock. They dripped their wax in it and sealed it so that they knew that nobody could mess with it. And they said, it is finished. But you see, I think the situation is beautiful because it points forward thousands of years into the future where another authority in the world would put somebody into a grave and seal the opening and say, it is finished. It is done. And what it tells us, what it tells you and me today, is that even when the strongest authority in the world says it's over, regardless of what authority in our life says it is over for you, When we walk with God, it is never over. The king returns to his palace. He couldn't sleep, which we know from last week that when kings can't sleep, stuff is about to go down. And then at the first light of dawn, he gets up and he hurries to the lion's den where Daniel has been underground with these crazy lions all night. And he cries out in an anguished voice because he didn't really believe that Daniel's God was going to deliver him. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions. He says, Daniel, did your God do anything? Is your God bigger than me? Friends, our world around us is asking us that question. Is your God powerful? Can I see your God be revealed in your life, even in the midst of your lion's dens? Did you trust in your God so much that God was able to make himself known even in the very place that you never would have asked to be. And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Daniel says, the lions didn't hurt me because even though As Pastor Tom said, even though everybody around me said I was wrong, God looked into this den where I could have been killed and he did not find me guilty. I have a confession to make to you, which is that when I planned this sermon series, I had three sermons planned. The first was Truest Steel and then um, The Test of Your Metal. And this one was supposed to be called The Chinks in Our Armor because I looked at it and I realized, wow, Daniel's innocence is what shut the mouth of the lions. So maybe in our lives, it is our righteousness that that conquers our enemy. 
But then God revealed something to me, showed me something really strongly. In Ephesians 6, where it says, resist the devil by putting on the full armor of God, it doesn't say put on the full armor of Samantha Angelis. It doesn't say put on the full armor of your name. It doesn't say do your best to be so good that you can have that breastplate of righteousness to protect you. It says put on the full armor of God. Put on God's righteousness. Because you and I, regardless of how much we discipline ourselves and how much we're careful about what we do and what we choose, our righteousness at its very best is not armor. It is filthy rags. Filthy rags will not protect you from a lion. It just won't. And you and I in our lives, we have an enemy that is more powerful than we are. Do you realize that? We can't win. Many times we don't win. You know that. You and I in our struggles against sin, we don't win because we're not stronger than our enemy. We come with our filthy rags and we try to ward off the lion. That's not going to work. The only way what God told us in 2 Corinthians is that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that through Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That means that you and I, when we accept Jesus, we're not just accepting salvation in the future. We're accepting Jesus' righteousness now. We're saying, Jesus, I am trying and I am struggling and I am realizing I cannot win this battle. And so God, what I am asking from you is that you would give me Jesus' righteousness. So that when you look at me in the den of lions, which is the den of this world or the situation that I'm going through, you don't see me. You see righteousness. And the enemy cannot devour and destroy righteousness. Cannot devour and destroy Jesus' righteousness that is covering us. You see, faith may not always save us from the lion's den, but faith in Jesus' righteousness, faith in the right stuff, faith in the unshakable character and forgiveness of Christ will always protect us from the roaring lion. We have an enemy that is trying to claim his territory, trying to destroy our faith so that he can inhabit our homes and inhabit our lives and keep us under his influence. But Jesus says that his righteousness can fix that. Those sins that you and I struggle with constantly, we will struggle with them forever unless we let God fight those battles. Jesus says, I can fix that. I can fix that for you. Because Jesus said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, not that they would avoid the lion's den, but that even in the midst of the lion's den, you would protect them from the evil one. And why is that? Look what happens when Daniel is protected in the lion's den. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. In Hebrews 11, it talks about people who did all these amazing things in faith. And one of those things is that they shut the mouths of lions because they trusted in their God. Interestingly, it doesn't say Daniel shut the mouth of lions because they trusted in their God. And I like to think it's because you and I today, through faith in Jesus that God gifts us, can still shut the mouths of lions through our faith in Jesus. That through our faith in Jesus' righteousness, which takes the place of our sins and our struggles, we can still shut the mouth of the roaring lions because we believe in Jesus, because we choose Jesus. And this is the result of what happened. At the king's command, this part is a little bit gruesome, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. 
along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. I want to point out first that this did not happen at God's command. This happened at the king's command. And the reason is because the Medes and the Persians, um, they had a strong sense of identity in groups. And so if the head of the household sinned, then that sin transferred in their mind to all of the other people. And now they know that they have falsely accused somebody, which is the penalty for falsely accusing somebody is death. And so they take their entire families, throw them into the lion's den. And we know that the lions didn't not eat Daniel because they just weren't hungry that day because they got them before they even hit the ground. And while this is a difficult image to process and to understand, in some ways I believe that God is saying to us is, don't fight the people in your lives. Because if they, like pray for them. Because if they are under the influence of the enemy, if they are under the influence of the lion, the lion will take care of them. You see, the people in our lives who are tormenting us, they are tormenting us because they are tormented. And we have to pray for, for, for release for them because if not, we don't need to go and, and exact vengeance. They are living in the difficulty and the sin we all do of our lives in the midst of it. Don't worry about the people in your life that you see. Keep your eyes on God. Be faithful in prayer with God. Hold on to God's promises and let lions take care of lions. And this is what happened. Daniel goes into the lion's den. He hangs on to his faith in God and this is what happened. For the fourth king in a row, King Darius says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues, and he saves. A pagan king reminding us God rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. I'd like to show you the end of the lion fight. Um, The lion fight goes on for, for quite a while, but this is just a clip of the end. When lions are roaring, they're fighting over territory. And the lions in our lives, our enemy, the lion, when he's roaring, he's fighting over territory. He's trying to say, who will own Pastor Sam's life? Who will own your life? And see, when you and I try to fight that battle on our own, and we try to say, I will fight you. I will own my own territory. We always lose. But when we step aside and let the lion of Judah, when we let our God come and fight that lion, he always, always wins. And that means in your life and in mine and the areas that we struggle with in our very lion's den, God will win if we will release the battle, if we will release the filthy rags and say, God, that's enough. I'm tired of fighting, bruised and bloody, exhausted. Please take over. And in the end, just like it was for Daniel, unshakable faith, the reason it's so powerful and the reason God is so willing to give it to us is because it always, always brings glory to God. 
And once we look at ourselves and we're able to realize that our best is filthy rags and we have nothing left to offer, then we realize God is the only one who deserves glory. And when we choose to put our faith in God, when we choose to seek God, when we choose to fix our eyes on God instead of all the things that are going on around us, in the end, God gets the glory. And Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian, king number five. I wanna challenge you today as I challenge myself to think of places in your life where you feel like you are losing the battle. Whether it's relationships in our lives, we feel like we are losing the battle. Maybe here in this very place where we feel like we're losing the battle. Places and areas of sin and struggle in our life where we feel like we're losing the battle. And I wanna challenge you today to turn that area over to God. Say, God, this is war-torn territory. The enemy is roaring for me here. And I need you, God, to step in and to fight the enemy. I need you to conquer him because I'm done. I have nothing left to give. And God's promise is when you do that, he will answer. In the midst of the lion's den, he will come and he will reign victorious.